Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, as already been stated, our last Monday chapel of the year, and this week begins a significant week, not just because it's the last week of chapel, uh, but this is our third week, uh, third time that a uh, third annual tradition that we've had, having a spring traditions week to conclude uh, our year of chapel. And uh, today, um, this is going to be a day in honor of our graduates. And uh, hopefully um, our graduates, uh, many of them are here. Um, I know for some that aren't able to be here, but today uh, we're going to be honoring them. Tomorrow we have uh, our part of our Spring Traditions Week. Um, we're going to be doing our student award ceremonies. And Wednesday um, I'll be able to share kind of a final concluding message with you all uh, and just kind of commission you into the summer. And then Thursday a final uh, time to celebrate by singing and we'll be led by um, a, a group of seniors and kind of graduate praise chapel. So uh, this morning, though, uh, we have the privilege of hearing um, from three uh, people that deeply care, uh, not only just about the institution, but each of you as students and through whether it's direct contact or even being behind the systems and helping uh, systems of support and leadership and creating systems of support and service for your students. Um, they they're, uh, prepared some three short reflections that will happen back to back. So we're going to be hearing first from Dr. Janet Summers, who is our VP over academics, and then followed by our president, Dr. Kierden, and then following from there, uh, Nina Barnes, our VP of student life. And so um, you're going to want to make sure to stick all the way here, all the way to the end, because we're going to have a concluding time of prayer over our graduates. And so uh, without further ado, I want to just pray for each of them as they come up to share, and for each of our hearts um, as we listen and as we receive. And I know that their words will be challenging, inspiring, and encouraging to all, but especially to you uh, as graduates. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I want to thank you and praise you. Um, you say in your word that you are to give honor to whom honor is due. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And Lord, today we want to honor and rejoice specifically for our graduate students, the students that are graduating. And for whether they've been here for four years or three years or two years, their journey here was something that was divinely ordained, orchestrated by you. And to know that their presence here matters and has had an impact on the student body and on faculty and on staff. And we thank you for the privilege it is to be able to hear from Dr. Summers, from Dr. Kirtan, from Nina, uh, and, and, and to simply just be here together as your people. And I pray that as each of them share, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would anoint their words, and Father, that you would affect our hearts with your words of truth, that it would be good soil, and we receive and we take root and produce fruit in your kingdom. God, we love you, we thank you, and help us now to lean in and to give you our full attention. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you welcome up first, Dr. Daniel? We are so proud of your perseverance and all of your hard work leading up to this finish line. I'm excited to shake hands with each of you as you walk across the stage 12 days from today. Now, the few minutes that I have to speak with you this morning, I'd like to briefly unpack three simple yet surprisingly significant phrases. Change is inevitable. Fear is our natural response. Courage 
Change is inevitable. Fear is our natural response, and courage is our calling. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, reminds us that for everything, there is an appointed time and an appropriate time for every activity on earth. The author of Ecclesiastes then proceeds to illustrate this truth by listing a series of pairings. He writes, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what was planted, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh and work for change. For our purposes today, we can add to that list a time to attend the University of Northwestern and a time to graduate from the University of Northwestern. What the author of Ecclesiastes doesn't mention, however, are the challenges we face when moving from one activity to the next, the liminal space in between, when we are poised on the edge of something new. This period of transition or change is unavoidable for us as human beings. We move through life frequently entering and exiting all kinds of times and seasons. And as we do so, we often find that the process of change, this movement between activities, can be really difficult at times to navigate. Despite the fact that change is inevitable and even desired, transitions can be uncomfortable, even downright scary. Fear is often our natural impulse when we are confronted with change. When change disrupts our status quo, alters our daily habits, or redefines who we are and what we do, our first reaction may be a fearful resistance to move forward, even though we may want to do so. Why do we think this is true? Arthur Darcy offers a viable explanation. He puts it this way. To step out onto a new road means letting go of a measure of control. In exchange, you move forward. Fear in response to change shows up because in the midst of change, we usually cannot what happens next? Right? We do not know what lies around the bend, and we fear its impact on our lives. Even as you, perhaps, await transformation, questions of all kinds may be swirling in your mind. Will I be able to land a good job that pays the bills? Will I like the work I will be doing? Will it provide meaning and satisfaction? Will I get along with my co-workers? Will I meet new friends and maybe one day the love of my life? How will I relate to my family in my role as a working adult? Will I be a success or a failure? At the root of these questions, perhaps, is a fundamental question that seems to form the crux of all of our Will I be okay? I'm here to remind you today.
day of something you already know. In the midst of inescapable transition and change, in the swirl of weird relationships, is a place of settling in. As we recognize and settle into this space, we realize that our safety, our well-being, is dependent not upon our outward circumstances, which may be in a constant state of flux. Rather, our well-being is dependent upon an inner sense for space and time in the middle of us. A place where we are held in suspension by hands we cannot see with a love sometimes cannot read. A place where our safety is so secure that despite the winds of change and the storms of fear, we choose to trust. This is the place of the refuge. The God of the universe leads his peace amidst disruptive change and paralyzing he declares in the book of Isaiah, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and I am with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and special in my sight. Amen. Gradually, as you find yourself in the swirl of change, as you face your fears and questions, know that you are called to courage. You have the power to face whatever the future may hold, because you are known by the one who created you. You can navigate change and quell your fears by responding to his voice when he whispers, peace, be still. All throughout the Bible, the supernatural courage is clearly evident in the lives of Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Esther, Rahab, Ruth, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Peter, John, the other disciples. All throughout history, this supernatural courage is likewise seen in the lives of such committed believers as Joan of Arc, William Tyndale, Corey Tenboom, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Roger Hilgarian, Martin Luther King, John and Eric Mihai. And this supernatural courage is yours and mine today. It is our calling and it is a gift given by a God who knows the changes we must face and the fears that we will have. May God continue to empower and equip you graduates with his courage as you continue one step at a time in your journey of trusting his love and his goodness. May he bless you with this throughout the
in my devotional time last week when I was reminded about Dustin's request for me to speak to you today. And uh, so I'm going to take a passage from my devotional time. So if you have scripture, open it up to Philippians 2. And I'm going to read this passage. It says, Paul's talking to the Philippians, and he's expressing really the content and desire of my heart as I talk to you forever and truth. And to every spiritual parent, faculty member, dad, and I'm going to read this passage a little different. I'm going to read it from the perspective of a faculty member and a staff member at Bible College. So if you will, follow along with me. And then I'm going to go back and highlight the five things that I think stand out to me that I want to share with you. Starting in verse 12. Again, this is from the view of a faculty member. Dear students, you were always so careful to follow our instructions when we were with you. And now that we are away from you, you must even be more careful to saving work in your lives. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. So in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live a clean, innocent life as a child of the King in a dark world and perverse. Let your life shine brightly before them and hold tightly to the word of life so that when Christ returns we will be proud that you did not lose the race and that our work is not useless. But even in our lives to be poured out like a drink offering for the sacrifice of your faithful service that is if we are to die for you we will rejoice we want to share our joy with all of you. And you should be happy about this and rejoice with us. These are the five things that I want to highlight in here. First is in verse 12, where Paul writes here, put into action. Now that we are away from you, be even more careful to put into action. Graduates, this just takes into action. it into action. For the Lord is working in your lives. Second thing is in verse 14. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Practical advice. Critical advice, because it's easy to complain. Agree? It's easy to complain. It's easy to argue. Stay away. Be different because of the Spirit of God that's in you. So that no one
Fourthly, hold tightly to the word. Hold tightly to God's word. Read it, savor it, study it, obey it. If God's word is a special gift, I want to walk this path that he's chosen for us in his service. And then lastly, what I want to say is this. Our goal and our hope Put into action. Stay away. Let your life shine. Hold tight. And know that he cares and loves each and every one of you. The story is written by Max Lucado, and I, I adapted it. I hope he doesn't mind. But this story is about perseverance, and it's about learning the discipline of following, leading to learning to follow. The three knights sat at the table and listened as the prince spoke. My father, the king, has pledged the opportunity the hand of my sister to the first of you who can prove himself worthy. The prince paused to let the men take in the news. He looked at their faces, each weathered from mire and scarred from battle. The kingdom knew no stronger warriors than these three, and these three soldiers knew of no woman as great and captivating as the daughter of the king. Each knight had asked the king for permission to seek her interest and affection. The king had only promised an opportunity, a test, to see which was worthy of pursuing his daughter. And now the time for the test had arrived. Your test is a journey, the prince explained, a journey to the king's castle by the way of Hemlock. The forest, one knight quickly inquired. The forest, answered the prince. There was silence as the knights pondered the words. Each felt a stab of fear. They knew the danger of Parts of it were so thick with trees that the sunlight never found them through. It was the home of the Hopenots, small, sly creatures with yellow eyes. Hopenots were not very strong, but they are clever and they are mean. Some people believe the Hopenots were lost travelers turned like donkeys, but no one really knew for sure. Will we travel alone? Carlyle spoke. A strange question from the strongest of the three knights. His fierce sword was You may each select one companion. But the forest is dark. The trees make the sky black. How will we find the passage? This time it was Alan who spoke. He was not as strong as Carlisle, but much quicker. He was famous for his speed. Alan left trails of baffled enemies whose grasp he'd escaped by ducking into trees or scampering over walls. But swiftness is worthless 
So Alan asked, how will we find the way? The prince nodded, reached into his sack, and pulled out an ivory flute. There were only two of these flutes around, this one and another in the possession of a king. He put the instruments to his lips and played a soft, sweet aria. Never had the knights heard such soothing music. My father's flute plays the same song. His song will guide you to the castle. Well, how was that, Alan asked. Three times a day, the king will play from the castle walls. When the sun rises, when the sun peaks, and when the sun sets, listen to him. Follow his song, and you will find the castle. And there's only one other flute like this one. Only one. And you and your father play the same music. Yes. It was Kassadin's inquiry. Kassadin was known for his alertness. He saw what others missed. He knew the home of a traveler by the dirt on his boots. He knew the truth of a story by the eyes of a teller. He could tell the size of a marching army by the number of birds in flight. Carlisle and Alan wondered why he asked about the flute, and it wouldn't be very long before they found out. Consider the danger and choose your companion carefully, the prince cautioned. The next morning, the three knights mounted their horses and entered homeward. Behind each rode the chosen companion. For the people in the castle, the days of waiting passed slowly. All knew of the test, and three times a day the people stopped their work to listen. After many days and countless songs, a watchman spotted two figures stumbling out of the forest into the clearing. No one could tell who they were. They were too far from the castle. The men had no horses, no weapons, and no armor. Hurry, commanded the king to his guards, bring them in. Give them medical treatment and food, but don't tell anyone who they are. Dress the knight as a prince, and we will see your faces tonight at the banquet. He then dismissed the crowds and told them to prepare for the feast. That evening, a festive spirit filled the banquet hall, and at every table, people tried to guess which knight had survived from last week. Finally, the moment came to present the victor. At the king's signal, the people became quiet, and he began to play the flute. Once again, the ivory instrument sang, and the people turned to see who would enter. Many thought it would be Carlisle, the strongest. Others felt it would be Alan, the swiftest. But it was neither. The knight who survived the journey was Kassadin, the wisest. He strode quickly across the floor, following the sound of the flute one final time and bowing before the king. Tell us of your journey, he was instructed, and the people leaned forward to listen. The Hovnats were treacherous, Kassadin began. They attacked, but we resisted. They took our horses, but we continued. What nearly destroyed us, though, was something far worse. What was that, asked the prince. They imitated. They imitated, asked the king. Yes, my king, they imitated. Each time the song of your flute would enter the forest, a hundred flutes would begin to play. All around us we heard music, songs from every direction. I do not know what became of Carlisle and Alan, he continued, but I know strength and speed will not help one hear the right flute. The king asked a question that was on everyone's lips. Then how did you hear my song? I chose the right companion, he answered, and he motioned for his fellow travelers to enter, and the people gasped. It was the prince. In his hand, he carried the flute. I knew there was only one play the song as you do, Kassadin explained. So I asked him to travel with me, and as we journeyed, he played. 
I learned your song so well that though a thousand false flutes tried to hide your music, I could still hear you. I knew your song and I followed it. So my prayer for you is that you would learn the song of Jesus so well that though many things distract you, even good things, that you would know the song so well, that you would know your cause, that you would have courage, that you would take heart, because things will be challenging. But to know that you are never alone. To choose your companions well, those who are right alongside of you, who will inspire and encourage your life in God and will encourage your calling. Those who will point you back to his arms. Well, those are some incredible words for all of us, uh, but particularly for uh, our graduates. And we want to do two things uh, for uh, together for our graduates, and uh, we want to pray uh, over them and then sing over them, and then all sing together before uh, we leave here this morning. And so if you are one who is graduating um, here in 12 days, as Janet pointed out, would you please stand? Don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> 